Hello, everybody. Welcome to Govern With webinar today. Our special guest, Bernie Kelly, is with us today, and he's going to take us through a really interesting presentation, which is going to introduce us to the notion of transformation, not innovation, which is going to take us from where we are now to 22 and beyond. So, Bernie, a very big welcome to you. Thanks, um, yeah, it's really lovely to have you here. And Bernie, I remember you and I were introduced, gosh, probably quite a few years ago now by our wonderful mutual friend, Andrew Donovan, who, of course, is a governance expert. But really, he introduced us because we met with a whole lot of governance people who are really keen about transforming the way we do governance. So a, a, a fantastic way for you and I to connect this is going to be a really important subject today because I know working with our wonderful Govern With community, when COVID started in 2020, we did lots of presentations and talking to all of our governing bodies and they all said what we need to be and what we need to learn to be is more sustainable. And that was good. Everyone was strong and we kept going and sort of um, drawing on our athletic backgrounds. Then as we slid into 2021, and as you know, everybody said that 2020 went into the bathroom, put on a wig and came back out again as 2021, we all started saying, okay, we've got to be innovative. We need to be innovative to get through this. And we had lots of talks about that. But here we are sliding into the end of 21, the beginning of 2022, and I don't know about you, Bernie, but everybody we've been speaking to decided that November was December. They've put their Christmas trees up in November. They've sent out the Christmas cards. They're like, we have had enough. Has that been sim similar yeah, to your yeah, experience? Absolutely. It's been a fascinating. It's been a grind for nearly everyone, whether the business has been on the sort of up or just sort of navigating, it's been a grind pretty well most angles. An absolute grind. And look, before I get you to start your presentation and introduce and tell everyone a little bit about your background, which of course has been a mentor to executive teams, particularly those who are leading transformation, and of course being the chair of the Australian Transformation and Turnaround Association. It's going to be amazing to hear from you. But I also have to share with everybody a little something that's even more special about you. Everybody, Bernie has actually just achieved his 10th marathon of 42.5 kilometres, which makes him a Spartan. So he's a transformational expert and a Spartan. So I welcome you and congratulations for your marathon. Oh, thanks, V. Huge. No, thank you very, very much. It's a pleasure. Very good to be meeting with you all today. I'm, as um, Fee's sort of been mentioning, I'm really looking forward to discussing it. I think actually as we're wrapping up this year, it is a good time to sort of re-sort of think on a few things and particularly some of our time perspectives and a few of those that we're chatting about. About myself, so I am heavily involved in sort of the whole conversation about transformation and rather than sort of not innovation in a way, it's actually, it's still the innovation thinking that there's a pace thing that we'll sort of talk about more in a minute. Really a little bit about myself, I guess the people that I work with, if you're thinking here, this is, this is uh, the people I'm working with. There are a lot of people out there who sort of come from down on and sort of think from an advisor perspective and hand over blueprints but really it's still up to us to do it. There's a lot of people that are sort of just consultants and, and sort of do work as you instruct them. But really in, in my work, I sort of get in beside leadership teams and we're looking into this future and sort of working out how to best navigate that. And they're just sort of picking up on that transformation topic and, and particularly why is it really relevant in this time? The, the definition of transformation is a, is a marked change, a real sort of significant change, not just those sort of incremental things that we may have talked about sort of 10 years ago. And there's a significant difference about that. And I think it is a sustainability conversation as Fee talked about, but really um, when we start to look at the rate of change on the outside, incremental changes are no longer gonna be enough. And that really as leadership teams, recalibrating our thinking to the scale and the, the leaps of, um, of change that need to be happening so that we're matching the outside is the game that we're gonna be chatting about today. Now, as Fee and I were in preparation for this conversation, we were chatting about just there is way too much going on as we head into the end of this year and that really uh, 
we, we could chat for hours on this sort of stuff and there's so much in the complexity space that we could be unpacking. We thought, well, let's actually bring it in a little bit and make it more of a digestible takeaway so that even if you're sitting there and you've sort of squeezed this into your schedule and you're about to, about to knock off your well-earned Christmas and New Year break, just being able to come back and think about three decisions today, two perspective shifts in this, in this one massive disruptive decade. And in the last decade, I'd spent a lot of time hanging out with futurists and this decade was always known to be, uh, it was always coming as a disruptive decade. This decade will be massive. And I think that nearly everyone was caught by surprise with 2020 that one year in how disruptive it was. And there's no evidence that you can find out there that we're going to back off from this. This is going to continue to be a disruptive decade. It's not like we're going to go one year in and, and come back to a version of a previous period. It's going to keep sort of churning. So let's talk about those three decisions and two perspectives as a little bit of conversation. And there's people who got questions or comments on the way through very very open to chat about that. Definitely. Three decisions. Three decisions to think about with your board or exec team. I've been summarising them as actually, which path are we on is decision number one. Decision number two is which leadership learning practice are we doing? And there's, there's two options of that that we'll talk about. And then really at the end of this sort of session, sort of looping back to what must we do in the 100 days? And the interesting thing about these times, there's that much going on that um, there's too much on the to-do list. So actually really starting to separate what a must-dos versus what a to-dos or could-dos or like-to-dos um, is actually going to be a really mm. important decision for your leadership team when you reconnect in 2022. Actually, Bernie, I think that's really clever and I'm really looking forward to hearing about that because like you said to me before, going hard is no longer clever. So, Run, running hard, and we'll talk more about that when, yeah. we, start, when we explain some of these paths. Um, going hard has a place, and I think that everyone understands in a crisis you need to go hard for a period. Going hard for a decade is not what clever people are going to do, and it's not also what leadership teams that anyone wants to work for are going to do. So there's a really interesting conversation about that, but that, that will unpack a little bit in which path are we on. And I, I've got some sort of frames to actually help us sort of pull those into different ways. So with this conversation about decision one, which is what path are we on? Here's a way of actually looking at these paths that actually is quite useful in thinking about this decade view and thinking about the, the scale and the, and the direction of the change you're going to need to be making in the direction. So if you think about the three paths you could be on, uh, one is the extinction path. And that actually is when you're thinking about uh, relevance. And this could be skills that have been relevant. So it could be for me as an individual, or it could be for me as a leader of an organisation. But thinking about practices that are losing relevance. And in every sort of transformative era, there are things that lose relevance. And from that, you can plan ahead and actually project what is the time to extinction. So the biologists like to think about, well, you know, with, with what is the time to extinction on this? And we can project most of those if that is the path that you are choosing to be on. Now, people can choose to be on that path and then they start to think about, well, if this is the time to extinction, that they're going to have to actually put all their energy into exploiting what the time they've got, or they might be thinking about maybe making the most of some time and then how do I leap onto a new business or a new wave and actually sort of think about that. But if that is the path that you're on, where you are actually doing things that are no longer going to be relevant at the end of the decade, that's one of the paths. There's a chase path, which I want to expand about a bit more, because it actually is possibly um, one of the common paths of many of us in this room today, because it was really useful practice in a previous period to actually benchmarking, comparing to best practice in another country, comparing to best practice from another year or previous period. And there's some real changes in the chase path, which we've got to build upon. And then there's the shaping path where we're actually building our own future on purpose. And we're experimenting, leaning into that for our community, our clients, our customers, and that, that sort of those three paths. So thinking about those three paths, the extinction one, we talked about time to extinction. The, the chasing one needs to have this in your conversation. If your leadership team are thinking about the chasing path and you're actually, that is your path, you've been benchmarkers, you've been uh, looking at best practice somewhere else, which is great or has been useful, is actually just to be really aware of the decade we're in. If you think back about the last decade, there was many 
and I'm just going to use technology as an example. You could, you could use societal changes, you could use political changes, but even just from a technological point of view, if we think about 10 years ago, a little bit over 10 years ago, we probably didn't have our smartphone 12 years ago, right? So those sort of things were sort of, in that last decade, there was a number of uh, things that moved up this exponential curve. And if you start to think about some of those, the mobile phone, the capability for storage of massive things through cloud computing, some of the transmission things that are moving up from you know, 2G, 3G, 4G, now we're heading to 5G, some of that sort of transmission capabilities. Some of these things are sort of coming together and we are around now, you can tell, people can tell me where they think they are, but on many of those technological curves, we are starting to head towards the right-hand side of these exponential curves. And that means that our chasing feels very, very different and it's going to feel even more different. So I guess just pausing for a minute, having a think about where people think we are currently on the chasing is an interesting um, question if, if you're thinking that you may stay on the chasing path. It's actually true, Vernie. You really do, you look around, you think what's best practice and how do we get there? And technology is a really good example, isn't it? It is. That um, a lot of people say we're going through transformational change because we're implementing technology. But really all they're doing is actually using technology that is available as opposed to changing what they really do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and also if I'm implementing the technology that everyone else is implementing, that opens up the whole conversation about the Red Queen effect which I know ah, um, you and yeah. I have chatted about before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, exactly. so really, so the interesting thing about the, the red queen effect, so th this comes, this is it's a term that's been coined by the microbiologists, but it's essentially the survival of the fittest accelerates. So if I'm on the chase path and I'm just comparing to others, and, and digital transformation specialists are, are classic of this, they're looking in their own little realm of digital classifications and they, they compare to everyone else and they go, well, hey, everyone else has got, you know, uh, mobile, everyone else has got cloud, everyone else got this. And we actually, I know reading some um, some of the big name consulting firms recently, it's a growing list every year of the things that we supposedly must have implemented in our IT strategies. And no one's keeping up, which is quite fascinating. So that, that's an example of where we're sort of suffering from the Red Queen effect. Now, the Red Queen effect comes from the Alice in Wonderland story. You may remember in Alice's experience, she sort of comes from all these very different perspectives. And one of the people that she meets is the Red Queen. And in the, the Disney cartoon version of this, which is the one that I remember the most clearly, she's running absolutely flat out with this Red Queen, but they're going nowhere, going nowhere at all. And that actually is the real risk of being on this chase path, that you are working super hard, your team are working super hard, and you actually look strategically for a minute, you know, especially in this decade view, and you go, well, where are we going in the last few years with all of this um, work we've done? And uh, as the Red Queen sort of says, if you want to get somewhere else, you must get run at least twice as fast. So it becomes just a running faster and faster conversation rather than a smart And I think, I think everybody is feeling that. It, it's a very familiar feeling in not only in our own business, but the ones that we're supporting as well. And, and so the reflection for that, and this is, you know, I do a lot of stuff in the sort of change fitness assessments and diagnostics and stuff like that as well. And I think that actually when you realise that everyone around you is exhausted or fatigued, the leadership team has a reflection about how have we created that, by which path are we on? If we're on the extinction path, we're definitely going to have a lot of fatigued people because they're going to be resisting and fighting a inevitable decline. Right, But also, if we're on the chasing path, we're going to have a lot of exhausted people because we don't get to really rest on our laurels because we actually haven't made any advantages in the implementation work that we've done. An interesting reflection, the Red Queen effect. So, so actually, I think um, I have got other, other stuff that sort of links to that, but it is interesting in just the old model, the sort of 20th century model of just competition. That actually is where, and, and comparing benchmarks in, you know, in, you know, our in, on the industry ladder, or maybe where I'm actually, you know, and I've done do a lot of work in the health and aged care sector, and we sort of we copy off what they did in the in the UK or the US and think that that maybe is benchmarking. But again, it's actually picking up people's old stuff. And I know it is fascinating how really when you are close to the stuff that other people are copying. So over the last couple of decades, I've been involved in 
transformative work, which later became references for a lot of other people who copied it. Became, it became best practice. But it was always fascinating when I meet the people who were implementing this best practice. It was what we'd done five or six or seven years prior somewhere else, which I think that's not going to be necessarily a smart thing to do this decade. The end of this decade, implementing what someone did in 2021 or 2022, it's going to be interesting, smart, an interesting thing to think about. That's decision number one. Am I on the extinction path, the chasing path, or the shaping path? And the shaping path is where you are actually um, trying to deeply understand what you know, your customers need and your, your clients or market need. The, the second question is, which leadership learning practice are we having? And this has got two, two different options. One is what I call swamped, and that actually is the mainstream practice. And I'll talk more about how that is the mainstream practice in a moment. And the other one is root level practice, which is in rather than chasing all the options that are exploding in our data explosion period of history, it's actually about going down to what are those very fundamental, deep, deeper sort of things. To understand the swamp, it is interesting, all the study at the moment about actually how, how we as a population, but also how we as leaders are actually absorbing information is shallow overviews are absolutely abounding. Weak link case studies that are actually sort of from a previous era that you can find little bits that are useful in them, but they're not necessarily relevant. Analogies that don't quite relate. Methodologies that aren't compatible. Being pulled to the, pulled to the proximate is actually about sort of working on what's right in front of us. And that's a massively strong part of uh, human nature. It's deep in our, our long-term psychology and it's even deep in our biology. Uh, and the exponential tech options and that, that chasing um, the growing list of you know, supposedly must do just to be remaining in the game. And then also just different, the discord and leadership advice, you know, different leaders got very different angles and trying to work out which one's the right one for this time, for me in this time is, is really sort of quite hard. And you can see with this explosion of information that's going on, in a, particularly in the last 10, 15 years, um, our attention spans are getting shorter and shorter and leaders and board directors are definitely, you know, we're, we're part of that population. And it's fascinating. Everyone talks a few years ago about how Twitter had, actually had 140 characters and they doubled it to, to 280. Only 1% of tweets ever hit that character limit. You know, it still <laughs> remains a very short-term thing. The average time allocated to reading an email newsletter, and I know as a producer of email newsletters, I've put a lot of time into them, but the average time um, across the population is 51 seconds. That's not deep understanding. 40% of websites are abandoned if they take longer than three seconds to load. Just as people, we have such a t short attention spans and, and that getting sucked into that habit, that scrolling on things, it's so easy. I think it's actually, it is the mainstream way, and but it's not actually, it's a weak practice for leaders, but it's becoming the predominant default. Mm. Actually, Bernie, I, I so totally support you. I know I was... Um, interviewing a really amazing CEO of a really, really large hospital. And I, I said to her, what do you see as the, the number one issue for your executives and your governors moving forward? And she said, once upon a time, best practice changed two to five years. By the time they've researched something and were clear about the fact that the new version of best practice for something that the doctors or the surgeons or the nurses do would take that time. And she said, right now, whole versions of best practice are changing within three months because of the power of the kinds of information you can get together on computers to study and understand best practice. And she said, there's a whole new role for a person in the organisation now that actually fast reads all of the changing in best practice and then translates it in a simple way to the surgeon or the nurse or the physiotherapist or whoever who has to implement that best practice into their, you know, upcoming surgery this week or whatever. Is it, that's kind yeah, yeah. of so, so, so we're, we're, stuff. We're putting a lot of work into, into being able to update those technical people mm. and there's less emphasis on the leadership people. Yes, and, and that's a very fair point because it, it, if you, it feels like if you stand still for two minutes, it all changes and you're, you're not relevant anymore. 
and that actually is the that so that that is totally what question what decision two is about which one ah. of these am i going to take because in decision two so i work with lots of leading exec teams as well who at the moment they would honestly say to me i don't have a spare minute between meeting a and meeting b right so we're just rolling through the day the day is back-to-back meetings people talk about working through lunch the time for actually getting still and quiet myself is really not there in the current in the current predominant default we're going to have to del- this has to be a deliberate decision so not thinking about this conversation is essentially I'm making the decision to do this practice. Yeah. It's really interesting, Bernie. Um, In fact, we've got a question, a really good question, because one of the things that's making us so busy now is that we're in the era of data and the analysis of that data. And and James um, has asked, in the age of data collection that we're in, where we seemingly collect everything and yet know nothing, how do boards effectively share and comprehend impactful, meaningful data that can be used in business decisions? So, so, so this is, this yeah, is an excellent question. How do we question. track that busyness? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so be, I'm going to dig a bit deeper below mm-hmm. that question, right? And really, what leadership practice do I have in the first place? Because if I'm just chasing data, the reality is that data, in, in the, again, it's a good question, James. Is I'm writing right into this sort of stuff myself, and, it, and I don't think many of us truly comprehend how much data is about to explode even further, right? So we talk about how actually data slash knowledge, not necessarily wisdom, but knowledge and data was actually it sort of took about a hundred years to double a period ago. At the turn of the last century, so about two thousand, it took a few years to double. Now data is sort of doubles every twelve hours globally, right? So. We're heading, and all of us know that actually that more devices are being connected every day. The internet of things are exploding. So that data is only going faster. So data is doubling one or two times a day at the moment globally. Chasing that is a futile task. That's, that's, that's where I've come to. So I guess, James, I've been going deeper on this and deeper on this, and that, that, that actually is why... This is the absolutely fundamental decision. Which one am I going to do? Am I going to chase data and go shallow? Or am I actually going to go deep and go back to root cause type of principles? What are the principles at the bottom of all of this? So in the anchoring factors of understanding transformational change, there's sort of three realms. And this is how I like to represent it. I have spoken with professors from overseas who represent it different ways and have had those sort of intellectual sort of debates. But everyone agrees that right at the if you distill it right, right down, just in the same way that you would think about how primary colours, you know, there's only three primary colours and you can paint all the colours of the rainbow. In the same way, instead of chasing the data explosion, which is path one, and going shallower and shallower, and as James pointed out, not really knowing anything, but just chasing data. Or the, the second decision is that I'm going to go there sort of the really sort of understanding at the root level, getting to factors and the three levels within that, the deep internal stuff, like that's actually what we know about, what I know about myself. And the fascinating thing is, which I'll unpack in a bit more in a second, is as humankind, we know more about ourselves internally than we've ever probably known in history in the last 10 years with what we know about neuroscience and MRI scanning and all of those sort of things. There's been an explosion of that knowledge, which is actually then married with a lot of the ancient knowledge and it is going deep in the internal. The external factors, being able to understand what really are the current conditions is um, going deep on that is another one of the fundamental practices. And then the other one is you know, acknowledging, and this is actually hard for experts, but acknowledging that there's a massive chunk of the world that I don't know anything about at all and that I actually need to have practices in place to be exploring the unknown. So that's decision number two. Right, so before you worry about the fact that data is getting out of control and you aren't, you, know, you actually chasing it isn't the question. Actually, decision number two is what's my leadership practice? Am I going to be swamped or am I going to be going, going back to fundamentals and going deep with what we know? That's the two decisions. But, but I mean, I'm, I'm open to it. Does that, does that address the question we were chatting about? I think so, Bernie. And, but I think. Um, for James that to, to be able to translate that to data, in other words, what you're saying to James is it's got to be, it, it can't just be data for the sake of data. It has to be 
deeply thought about and analysed and useful and relevant. So if you think about data, if you think about it like a ladder, the data is at the bottom level, it's useful. But then after that is information. Yeah, the story. And, yeah, and then after information is insights. Yeah. And then after insights is wisdom. Yes, yes. Right? I think and, that's, that's the key. And understanding that ladder, what is what I'm talking about, that actually if I'm going to make a choice, make a decision about what do I concentrate on as a mentor to exec teams and boards or as a member of an exec team or board is am I going to chase data or am I going to chase wisdom? Mm. No, I think that's very good. And we've got more comment on this from Ivan. And Ivan's saying... No, Ivan. Yes. Ivan's saying, you know, for example, we could have data of, this is really good actually, of every leaf moving in a tree in real time. Yep. But the effect is caused by the wind is blowing west. Yes. So that, that's the real information. And so the data overload is a distraction. Yes which makes a lot of sense. So which direction is the wind coming from? <laughs> so this is where this fundamental anchoring is fascinating. So with the people I work with, there's a bit of a sequence that we do with the internal, external unknown as well. So like picking up on what Ivan was sort of saying there, before I even get into deeply going super deep on the external conditions, actually understanding myself and that I've got biases and that there's a, there's a massive, we could go deep on that. We could run a whole session just on understanding myself and my biases. But I've got so many biases that I've got blind spots everywhere. And you and Ivan and, and you, you know, we all do, right? So we've got, we've got stuff that we see and we've got all these things that are outside of that. So even just having a deep understanding of ourselves and being able to uh, open our mind, we use a small fraction of our mind. And people understand, you know, if you're in the, yeah, with neuroplasticity and other things like that, we now know a lot more about synapse connections and all these things than we ever did before. And actually, we have well-worn tracks inside our mind and being able to open up that to then be able to come into the external with a different angle is, is what we sort of normally talk about. I think that's good. That does help. And the, the third decision is obviously what must we do in the next 100 days? And that, I think, is an important sort of decision to come back to. But that fitting into that conversation we opened it up with, that it's probably worth having a reflect on the two perspectives that we're suggesting today first before, if you are sort of guiding your leadership team through it, I would actually probably pull up, take a breath and then have a think about the two perspectives mm. then then answer the next 100 days. And, and the interesting thing about that question with the must in the 100 days, there is a lot of, and all of us know this if we look back, there, there's a lot of work that we will end up doing in the next 100 days. Not all of it is going to change our trajectory for this decade. And the leadership teams that work out what must be done this 100 days make way more progress. And they actually have a totally different uh, transformational path. So talking about the two perspective shifts. So these are the nice two takeaways for today's session. We can explore a bit deeper, but I think... There's so many perspective shifts out there. These are two distilled, distilled ones to sort of make it easier to uh, cut to the chase. One is that time is my tool. I, I think that actually a lot of us um, are, be are beating ourselves up going, well, this has been a big year. Am I on track where I would have thought I would be? Am I on track? All these sort of things. But actually a perspective shift that I'd like to offer for consideration is actually if you think from a decade view and you and your leadership team think from a decade view, are we success stacking every 100 days or are we playing snakes and ladders? And success stacking is that you actually do understand your life direction, your strategic direction, that 100-day focus direction and your actionable direction, and you are building up with the clarity of that. And, and, the, and the understanding the life direction and not the snakes and ladders game is where people just work really hard and they make progress but then they burn people out and they have to start a team again or they don't look at some other risk and they go backwards a lot. And that actually is in the turbulent and complex times of this decade, that is probably the default path of most of us. And the success stacking is a more conscious um, path. But the fun thing is that all of us can use time as our tool when we start to take the decade view and be intentional. Perspective number one. I and love Bernie. I love uh, the biggest... Thing. I've just been reading this slide and the, I'm, I don't know what other people think, but I love this, what Bill Gates said. 
it's so true. Like we, I think we kill ourselves because we overestimate what we can do in one year yep. and completely underestimate what we can do in 10. Yes. And Bernie, I think you and I have talked about this a lot. I remember, you know, when you and I first started out, it, it was all about strategic planning and we would spend days and hours putting together at a minimum a five-year plan. Yep. And God help us if we moved away from that and every KPI was set for that. Then we went to two years. Then we went to one year. Now we're in six months. It's, uh, it is actually disrupting what Bill Gates is just saying there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that actually is the real pendulum swing going on. Mm. So it used to be that we actually, as you're sort of saying, we locked in a really fixed view of the world. It, it, it was it wasn't authentic because it was actually just a, it was a blueprint written down with my current understanding and my current yeah. assumptions, right? So, mm. so it had all those weaknesses. But then there's actually also the swing the other direction where everything has to be done in the next 90 days or mm. in the next quarter. And that one doesn't have any sense of purpose. There's no golden thread in that one, right? Mm. Where what we're talking about here with success stacking is that I understand the purpose path. I understand where my life direction is going. I understand my thousand day, which is more that sort of around the three years sort of horizon. But then each hundred days, we're actually stacking up and working out what must happen. And the, the other thing which is transformative in success stacking is that we are actually having that must do conversation. Because quite often a lot of us are, if you look at this decade, a lot of us are chasing short-term objectives and we're not actually addressing the, the must do. So can, so can I just chase chase that one out a little bit more with you yeah, yeah so when you talk about the must do give me some examples of that what what you mean because you know alongside yep. that golden thread we've got to remember our purpose and our values the must do's are the things that stop us from dying here or yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, so, so, yeah. so the thing interesting from a life direction right so the time perspectives are useful lenses to look at my 100 day must do if i only build it from what is proximate to me now and I'm reacting again using that sort of Steve Covey thing I'm just actually reacting I'm rather than being proactive we're using the time perspectives we've got here working really really hard on something that isn't going to be around in 10 years is that right yeah. um, also from a life direction point of view what really matters in my life and this is actually quite a profound thing from an exec mentoring point of view. Um, nearly every hardworking executive or board member that I've ever spoken to about that comes down to really fundamental things. They go, well, my, my, my inner circle of loved ones, my family matter to me. You go, yep, yep, got that. Being healthy, I saw how my friend lost their health and I don't want to be that person. So being healthy is really, you go, and it's really, really fundamental things that we quite often don't consider in our 100 day must do's. And then also in the strategic thing, um, dropping down to the thousand day lens, if it's sort of said, well, I need to have deeply understand my uh, market and we need to be in a totally different place where we are now, working on last year's KPIs and beating myself up about that budget, is that actually aligned with my thousand day plan? And also the other thing is within the thousand day plan, the must do's is I will never achieve the thousand day plan if I don't have an exec team with these capabilities for example, and you go, well, are you sourcing people with those capabilities? Are you building people with those capabilities? Is there any of that happening in this 100 days? No. That's a, well, when are you going to, when that is a must do to get to here, when is that happening? And that, that becomes that conversation. There's a bit of tension in that because I think that it's easy. I, I've unfortunately done a lot of turnaround work where people actually have, made a big, bold strategy and you get to very close to the end and there's a whole heap of must-dos that have never been addressed and they're not going to be addressed when it's that close to the end. But bringing them forward and talking about them in the first 100 days, you can start to go, okay, well, these are must-dos to get to that 1,000-day plan and now I'm going to start success stacking. Every 100 days is a step towards my 1,000-day um, plan. And also, though, if we have a quarter where we get knocked off balance, I can then regroup at the end of that quarter and I haven't lost the game, just lost a hundred days. And so actually keeping that clear focus, that is how people success stack and transform rather than uh, dreaming about it and not taking the actions. There has to be a, that connection of vision and action. 
And key is knowing your thousand day and your ten year view. Yes. Mm, that's really good. But then, but then the next ones are really where it happens. Like the, then getting clear that it's running a complex team. Are we nailing it every ten days, and are we regrouping? Um, and, and the interesting thing is, have you ever read um, James Clear at Atomic Habits? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things that James has done, which is great, and I remember meeting him a couple of years ago, and he's not as old as I would have thought, but he's got all this wisdom distilled. It's, it's, it's excellent. <laughs> he's been reading data. <laughs> he's been reading lots of stuff, but he's distilled his wisdom about habits. And one of the things that is classic about habits is that we quite often, it is good to know what that level is that we want to be, but actually what are those sort of very, very initial threshold things to get into the habit? And one of the ah. metaphors that he uses is, say, for example, I've decided that I want to get fitter and the way that I'll do that is by running more. So rather than focusing on the running more, he actually goes back and goes, well, what are those very entry-level things that are like going to be really immediate feedback? And so examples in there could be that I ring a friend that I say, hey, Fee, I know you'd like to run as well. Yeah. Let's make sure we just run Thursday morning. Or that I actually get my running gear out the night before. Or that I find a time that works in the diary and put it in there. And so those are the things that can fit into the 10-day view because it is fascinating to me how many, from a uh, success stacking point of view, that if I can identify those very low threshold things, I will suss out the things that I'm probably not going to tackle. So well, I know we don't have time for it today, but there's there's a whole heap of underlying assumptions that are going on in all of us that we don't understand. So I, I'm, there's stuff I'm conscious of about myself and there's stuff I'm not conscious of about yeah. myself. And that actually all of us, even as executives and, and board members, actually have unconscious things that are barriers to that next transformation. And that understanding our identity in the next trend in that next phase is key and if i'm holding on to identity from the past phase that can be identified by a good partner in that by using this mm. even the 10 day view because for example if i've said that i'm going to run to you fee and, and then you go well bernie you, the first thing you said you're going to do is you're going to need to buy some runners this weekend and it's monday morning did you buy those runners and i go mm. no i was too busy it's such a good example. I've just noticed Ivan's also asked on the back of this, yep. do you repeat exercise every 10 days? In other words, repeat the, you know, repeat that 10-day exercise. Like it's a conscious, deliberate 10-day thing. Yeah, yeah. So, so, mm. so, but so, so lots of teams that are actually at that, so in the agile movement and the sort of lean sort of movement and, and even just sort of the, uh, the executives having a 10-day. So, so the 10-day, just for clarity, Ivan, is like that's the Monday morning meeting in, in my practice. That's how I practice it. It's the Monday morning meeting. I like to look into early into the next week because sometimes there's a little bit of flow over there that goes invisible. But it's basically it's the every Monday morning meeting. We check in and go, hey, we know our, we know our 100-day plan. Here's the stuff that we said we needed to do. Um, where are we at? What's what's happening this week? And, you, and Fee sort of tells me that I'm, you know, I'm not available on Thursday this week. We go, okay, but can we make that topic happen on Friday? Then we go, yep, we'll book that in. So it is actually that it's the very practical, tangible version of the weekly plan with the hundred day plan as the guide. Yeah, so and it is, happens every Monday morning. It's that it's that repeat thing. But I love that notion, and 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 it's exactly the same. Bernie, I understand it fully because my hubby and I started an iceberger group 15 yep. years ago. And in the middle of winter, when it's eight or nine degrees in the water, let me tell you, you only turn up because you know the others are and you just don't want to be the one who's shamed for not coming. And then afterwards, you just love it. But that's really clever. That, that's really clever. So, for example, though, and this is mm. where I know working with, with people that I'm mentoring at the moment, so we're talking about early next year, you know, it could be even just simple things like, have I actually scheduled in January the mm. meeting about this topic? Yes, yeah. That, really that could good. be an example of, a, of mm. one of those really low threshold things. Or it could be like, okay, I'm acknowledging that I've got a weakness in this. Who do I, by the end of January, I will have identified someone who can actually work with me on that. Mm. You know, the, it's just those, what are those low threshold things? Or I know I've, I've run a uh, community group called the uh, Chiefs of Transformation. So it is actually like C-suite who are sort of into this transformation space. And am I hanging around with people who do this? 
And th yeah. those things actually, those setting up those little opening things helped me get on the path more. And as you sort of said with your icebergers, if that was just you doing that by yourself yeah. as a social creature, as a human, right, the, the likelihood of you doing that by yourself for 10 years is why is there's actually a lot of evidence that you start to multiply the probability of success by engaging with so other people, by identifying your barrier, your identity issue with it. And if you can sort of get an identity that connects, now you are a, a Geelong iceberger, you are doing it socially. These things make it five times more likely mm. that you can be doing it. And I tell you what, the other, the other thing I've started is every morning I do a post and I also now, if I don't do the post, I get all these, where's the post? What happened? What was the surf like? And that's the other thing I've gone and done to myself to make myself turn up. And we've been doing it for 15 years now, so we are one and a half of your plans in. It's really cool. Yeah, yeah. So, that, so that's where James Clear refers to them as that these are the atomic habits. So, the, so the, the atomic habit was setting up that post is a makes you... Oh, you know, it, it, it makes, it you, makes, do the other, makes you do the other things. So this is where the success stacking happens because if I now connect my identity into where I want to be and I put these little sort of small little habits in place, I start success stacking and, I, and, and transformative stuff happens over yeah. time. I think there's a real ability to translate this discussion into our daily work. Yes. And yeah. not hate every part of our daily work, but have a discipline around one or two things that make us turn up. So, so one of the things which I've observed in, you know, that we talked before about the three decisions and three different paths, mm. sometimes people think that the people that are shaping must be working harder than the people that are chasing and the people that are, being, um, that are on the extinction path. We see this well, in health all the time. The community nurses are always regarded as they're just going to have a cup of tea and the ones who are in theatre are working harder. It's exactly that. We, we have that impression. So then we've got that impression, but my, my absolute experience is that the boards and exec teams that are going to shape this decade will not be working harder than the people who are chasing this decade and the people who are on the extinction path this decade. Okay. Now that's a really important call-out into, call into my out. next... Really, really an important call-out into my next perspective shift because we're already working too hard and actually... Damn right. ..that you are setting that up by these previous decisions. And then the second perspective that we really want to take is actually to take a breath, right? Because really there is zero evidence and zero in my experience working behind the closed doors with the exec teams and the boards who are doing this, the shapers are not working harder. They're not working harder. And they also have a calmer feel about themselves. Then the people who are chasing are working really hard and the people that are on the extinction path have a there's, a, there's a lot of energy burnt in going against the natural flow of things. Like you're resisting very hard and it is a very much a draining path. Those two paths are the hard work path and that is a massive perspective shift because people, um, I think people think that, oh, I'm too busy to do this extra stuff, Bernie. We go, well, that's okay. That's your perspective, right? But the... Interesting thing is, and this is where I just call this turn to take a breath, the developments in knowledge in this past decade have been massive. And I humbly pretend to acknowledge that I can only, I've only scratched the surface of it, but it is amazing talking to the people who, who really know this area, how much we've, we've learned more about the brain um, in the last 10 years than we ever knew ever before in history. Because we can also study it from so many different directions. And then we've been able to connect understanding from, you know, different um philosophies and different methods over a long time but the understandings of like for example neuroplasticity it's only in previous generations to us um, it was totally a known fact that if you damage your brain that was sort of that part of the brain was dead where now we also now know from neuroplasticity that we can continue creating synapse connections all of our life right so you can do that um, from an injured person point of view but we also can do that through as ourselves as learners and, and sort of and developers and transformative executives. And I know in uh, one of the programs that, that I run, we actually, there's the Stanford research around that has actually confirmed that they can actually see on MRI scans, the muscle build you can do in sort of six to eight weeks of actually just doing some deep internal work. And that's it's quite fascinating. And then the other thing is just the whole brain, AI brain cycle, which um, 
was totally sci-fi 10 years ago and totally known about now. So back to that explosion of data, there's an explosion of stuff going on that you can try and learn about. But right, right at the bottom of that is that and all of those different fields all have this at the foundation on them, that our mind runs on default patterns. And that actually the other piece, which is a big insight, is you don't need to go off and do meditation for a month or a day or anything like that, that even a few breaths can actually be enough to interrupt the default pattern and introduce um, self-command, right? So, so this, is one, this is an example of going deep, which is what I do with um, people I'm working with, we go deep on that so that I actually can increase my self-command and change my default patterns as the start of my transformation, which then can flow through to the organisational transformation. And so, yeah, so that not working harder, but actually taking a breath is mm -hmm. a, a massive perspective shift for most of the busy people we mm. know. I love it. I, I feel more relaxed already. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe we should just, uh, I, I know actually in some other webinars I've run before, actually with busy people like this, you go, well, you know what, let's just turn the, the camera off for two minutes and take a deep breath. And afterwards people go like, wow, that's the first time I've stopped taking deep breaths for the last month. <laughs> I think I'm going to have to get you back to get you involved in some of our strategic sessions where our lovely Govern With community members come and we just talk about some of the latest things that are happening and we don't do it in a webinar, we actually yep. do it as a Zoom and that would be a lovely one to introduce people to. But I just, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I don't think there's a person who we've spoken to in the last two months that wouldn't agree that we, we've got to do something about this because if you speak to people about covid or whatever it, it's not going away anytime soon and if it, it, it's going to present itself in a different way but there's and, other and also, and also the the consequential implications of everything has changed yeah from society mm. points of view the supply chain views the the different technology that's now not there's so many it's yeah it's it's there's a this decade is going to continue to be a disruptive mm. decade it is so yeah no, i think what the the things that you have pointed out and and these methodologies i just think they're so simple the first part to me though bernie is actually trying to work out which pathway are you on and and i know for a fact that when i work with the health boards or the aged care organizations boards or any boards that are driven by numbers that they need to look after that are bigger than what the services they can provide it's very tough to hear the message that we need to take a breath or we need to slow down so I'm interested in how do we start to translate some of this good sense into those service areas that we have the privilege of working with that the services themselves, through no fault of their own, can't keep up with the numbers that they're presented with. The question that I ask myself and I ask people that I work that I'm partnered with is actually what can only I do? And the reason why that question is there is that if I'm on the board or an exec team of a organisation, there's a lot of stuff that everyone else has, can do. And maybe because I've been in this sector for ages, maybe I can, can do it as well. But the difference is actually what can only I do. And that, that quite often comes back to the, the reality is that only if you're on a board or if you're actually on the exec team, quite often only you can stand back and have a proper look. Now, people further down the run, they may have to actually produce next month's budget based on some assumptions that some people made up ages ago, right? But only you can stand back and go like, and the, the sense making, the, the actual, the, does this actually make sense? Is this actually aligned to a path that has us on the other side of the transformation? I, I continue to be surprised at asking that question how many exec teams don't understand transition planning. And that actually is how do I have energy on the current concerns, but also energy on the practices that are necessary on the other side of the transformation. And then the third one is the bridging between those two. And typically only boards and execs can do that. And that is work that 
they're not doing if they're not doing it well then who's doing it and therefore you're actually just plowing ahead uh without any transition plan to the other side of the industry transformation that's actually a really good point you bring up because it makes me think back to the years i've been ceo myself or been on boards myself and one of the mistakes I now am reflecting that we made as a board in particular was reflecting the madness of the sector we were in. And I say that with great respect. I'm not criticising our clients or anything, but you start to take on the sort of craziness or the, the incredible neediness of the group you're looking after and that becomes your excuse for um, not doing things. But I love that notion of, okay, you are in this busy sector, the need is greater than what we can do, but your job is to actually sit back and reflect. Well, well only you can do that, right? Yeah. So, so, so someone needs to. And if that is something you're in one of the roles where only you can, well, then like no one the else is. Like the board or the executive, yes, yes. yes. And, so then, and then I think that mm. that's why I work with those people specifically yes. because it's a very different, it's a different question. Now, if you're running the operating theatres of some hospital or or um, you're running a warehouse, or you, you have to actually get deliveries done today. Yeah, yeah, you have to yeah. actually get the plan done today. But, but somewhere in the organisation, there are people that need to be having, you know, what can only I do? conversation and that's the leadership bit for transformation it is mm. and, and at the moment the, the the other thing which is interesting for you in this about going deep on the internal execs we're an intellectual crowd right we love to intellectualize about it and that's external but the the going deep on the internal is where opens up a massively way more powerful part of our mind to um, when we do get to the external again in all that sort of neuroscience stuff the social mirroring that is deeply inside us as social creatures where we're, we've you know derived from social beings even prior to humans our survival mattered on being social so mirroring is actually now a, a neuroscience proven fact that i actually transmit energy and you transmit energy and it goes back and forth and that if the leaders are dragged into that that busyness not thinking ahead energy everyone gets dragged below that line someone has to be helping bring conversations back up to yeah. the karma, karma space. And that's where this perspective shift of, of taking a breath and time is my friend is actually, it's, this is breakthrough transformative stuff for boards and exec teams because they play a very different role internally first and then externally of bringing everyone up. Because people, if I walk into your room and you're down here all over the place, I'm going to be dragged down there with you. If I walk into a room and you're trying to be considered, you're still facing the brutal facts, but you're actually uh, trying to be the more sage uh, version of yourself, you know, I will bounce off that and mirror that. And, and I think that's such an important point as when we look at change fatigue in organisations, the people who can change that are on boards and exec teams. And, and it's mirroring that. Gosh, that, that is such a good point, you know, because the last thing you want is, those groups running around saying the sky is falling. Uh, but also, and this is actually, again, like yourself, I have to put my hand up and acknowledge that I've been this person as well. Um, when, when I've been an exec and I'm actually, and I'm saying I'm busy and I'm saying it's flat out and I'm saying that we're actually, I totally transmit that down to my team. Yep. And, yep. and also um, they, then they transmit it back to me, right? So we've got, that's actually the negative vortex where, this conversation we're having here is if I can start time stacking, if I can start taking a breath, how do I get the upward conversation to happen? And especially if I think I've got 10 years to do it, I'm actually looking on the other side. Well, every sector at the moment is going to be transformed this decade. Am I even clear on what it's going to look like on the other side of this there? If I get clear on that, what identity do I need to be to be that? And how do I become that now and start to be? It's a massive shift in the energy that happens mm. in exec teams. And, and I think it's going to become, I think it's going to become, it will become a massive, back to the three paths. If we were to catch up with people who are on this call today at the end of next year, and they have um, not consciously made one of those three decisions, they will be becoming exhausted. They will be under threat. They will have actually increased their sort of uh, strategic risk register uh, you know, 
there'll be more things in the red in a year's time than now. And Bernie, I can now I can see why you're saying transformation, not innovation. Because if I was to put my hand up as a boss, and not just in the business I'm running now, but in the past as a chair and a CEO, I would have to say that because of my personality, innovation comes easy to me. I always do things differently. But by God, it disrupts the team. If you don't stop and you don't be quiet and look at things, grasp facts really quickly and you quickly change direction, that also can bring people unstuck. So innovation is probably not the solution moving forward. Well, continually changing things. So, so it's one of the necessary strength spikes, right? But if, yeah. if I'm coming only from that perspective, I'm not seeing others. And so a piece about this is actually the transformative is that I am actually deeper inside my own self-awareness. I have a broader uh, view of perspectives as an exec team. So therefore, I've got less blind spots. I've got less, I'm, I'm less unbalanced. I'm there's leaning into innovation only and not, with, mm. not looking at these other perspectives. The world is too complex for that. Yeah, and, and Bernie, yeah, I agree. And Carolyn has just put up a fantastic comment. She says, cool. perhaps we should also get people to ask, what impact am I having on the people around me? Mm. I'm working with execs whose biggest issues are we are short of people. We are doing the jobs of five or six. Yet business priorities are 18 deep and approved by board. I think as a board, we need to question more. So we actually say, what are our critical challenges and how do we chunk all this done to provide the focus and then use the success stacking? Unfortunately, I don't think our exec teams are listening to their people and they are blindsiding our boards. And I think this is such a true point. So, so, so this, this is a, I could not it's agree more. I could not yeah, agree yeah. more with that point. Yeah. And, and it's, it's that a massive, breaking it's massive, of the chain. It's a massive yes. red flag for us, right? So that, that mm. actually first things first is owning the fact that I'm a weak prioritiser. Now, I'm not going to say that to anyone uh, on a, in a public forum like this, but definitely <laughs> getting in beside people who are in those, that executive team that you're talking about and that board, there, there needs to be some true leaders in that group who mm. acknowledge that prioritisation is not a strength I'm bringing to this situation. And, that, and that's okay because it is actually a technical skill and, and you can teach it. I, I definitely teach executives how to do that, right? So because it's not beyond them, but they actually have to first own mm. the fact that they're not doing it and it's not a strength. And then you go, okay, so in this next 100 days, starting, so get back to my the atomic habits, mm. what actually in the next 100 days can the exec do to start to prioritise? And everyone knows there's massive research in it, all the good to great conversations. Saying no to stuff is one of the enablers. Mm. And I think greatness. in turn, helping the board know that. Yep, yep. yep. And this, then the this board. Supply, this, if thing, this is a blind yeah. spot to your board, right? So mm. if this is a blind spot to your board, actually looking at the lag indicators because most boards that it's a blind spot to aren't good at looking at lead indicators. So I'm coaching them to look at lead, lag indicators, but as you can see it in the lag indicators. If you've got exhausted staff, if you're missing targets that you thought you were going to hit, and if you actually have on your risk register, you're actually starting to acknowledge um, some serious concerns around viability, but also just this uh, topic of being able to keep up. You need to, if you're if you're one of those board members, you need to have this conversation about. Yep. I, look, I agree. And Bernie, that's the perfect spot to start to wind up our talk because it's been so incredibly enjoyable. We've even snuck a little bit over time. But guess what? That's because we're breathing and we're taking the time <laughs> to really think about this. Very good. I have to tell you, this has been inspiring. I love I love the perspective that this incredibly complex position we've got ourselves into has such a simple way out. And now, I simple, you, simple doesn't mean easy because no, the no, no, hard no. part for humans is we've got to practice it. <laughs> yes, yes, I love that. But look, honestly, and I can tell from all the comments and, and the lots of questions, people saying, oh, my gosh, that's true, wonderful, thank you. I, I really, really thank you for bringing this incredible discussion 
to us all and, and, and in such a perfect time because pretty much what you just summed up by saying if you're on a board or you're an executive and you've got exhausted staff, you're missing targets, and there's some things appearing on your risk register you've never seen before, you do need to have this conversation. I commend you, I'm now going to have this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and every single beautiful person I'm working with is too. So thank you, Bernie. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you today. And I can't wait to have you back and talking with us a bit more. Bernie is available. Please reach out, contact him. If you're thinking about our strategy and planning for 22, we really do need to have people like Bernie come in talking to us in those strategic insight sessions and, and supporting our executives and boards as well. So, Bernie, thank you. And I know that people will reach out to you and I know that we're going to get you back next year. And, and my, my just quick wish for everyone on this call, I wish that you take a good breath over the Christmas New Year break, that you have a well-earned break, and um, hopefully that you, yeah, there just can be a little bit of time to access the, the sager, more wisdom part inside yourself to, to reflect on some of this stuff, and um, Merry Christmas. Beautiful. Thank you, Bernie. Thank you so much.